Hello, Tightropers. Alan here. Today we sit down with Matt and Trisha Harward. You may recognize those names from the Mormon Mixed Faith Marriage Facebook group. We're super excited to have them here. They are moderators in that Facebook group. And today we sit down with them to talk about part one, which is their personal story of Trisha stepping away from the church. There's a lot of vulnerable moments and it's a great story. Uh, We know that you'll enjoy it quite a bit. Part two, which is yet to come, will be on their involvement in that Facebook group, uh, some of their experiences and advice for mixed faith couples that are listening. And that that episode, we didn't want to crunch into this first part and just let them tell their story here and do a second episode. We have two more episodes to announce that we're super excited about that are coming in the next month. We're going to sit down with Natasha Helford Parker, who's going to join us to talk about media choices and pornography. Uh, this is something that Katie and I uh, really want to make sure we do well. So we wanted to get an expert uh, in the field uh, to come and talk with us. And we love Natasha's voice and we're super honored to have her on the podcast. We're also going to sit down with Richard Osler of the Listen, Learn and Love podcast. And we're, we're just geeked <laughs> to be with him as well. Uh, he, we found out, lives like within a mile and a half of us. Uh, so we're going to sit down with him at his home, which is so generous and, and gracious to have us. Uh, we'll be on his podcast, and then he'll also be a guest on, on our podcast. So keep an eye out for that. Lastly, there's an event we're going to be attending on May 18th, 2019. That's this year. It's in like 10 days from now, but at the point of recording, at 6 p.m. at Thanksgiving Point in Utah here. Sorry for those that are not in Utah. It's called Saturday Salon. And it's actually cool because it's one of our listeners has set up this event. And this is going to be the first of many of those events. And he invited us to be there. So we're super excited to be there. This first event, the kind of the keynote speaker uh, is going to be Margaret Toscano, who will be presenting an essay uh, on the temple that she wrote. If you're not familiar with Margaret, look her up. She's done a ton of, of work uh, within the world of, of Mormonism and <clears throat> specifically women's studies. So we're excited to, to, to hear from her. There will be discussion after the presentation, uh, free catered food, like good food, and it's all free of charge. So it, it should make an awesome date night. So everybody knows we have requested a copy of the essay that Margaret's going to be presenting. We haven't gotten it yet. So we'll let you know in our next episode, which we'll release before the event, what our, what our thoughts are. I, I know that I'll be comfortable there. Uh, we want to make sure that both spouses are comfortable. So uh, we'll we'll read that and Katie will, will express whether or not she's going to be comfortable or even going to attend. But for now, to save that date, May 18th, 6 p.m. at Thanksgiving Point, which is, um, sorry, let me look it up, 3003 North Thanksgiving Way. It's going to be in the second floor in the Velvet Room. You can go to saturdaysalon.org to register, and please do so that we know exactly how many people are going to be there. Uh, but I'll be there for sure, and next episode you'll hear if Katie's going to be there or not based on the, the subject matter. Okay, without further ado, enjoy the Harwards. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Marriage in a Tightrope. I'm Alan. And I'm Katie. And we're still married. We are joined today, and I'm not introducing you yet, so just... Be patient. <laughs> we are joined today by uh, a couple that I've known online on Facebook for, it's actually probably been close, oh, a little over a year. And I, I, before I even introduce them, I have to say that we were joking with them just before we started recording. And uh, Matt Harward, uh, one of the two that we're talking to today, joked about, all right, we should start with the prayer. And Alan, you should say the prayer. 
And I just put my hands in my face and it made me want to talk to you, Katie, really quickly about prayer. Oh, on the spot. Is that, is that uncomfortable if oh, I put you on the geez. spot? Okay. What do you want to say real quick? Okay. Before we do that, I'll get, I will bring Matt and Trisha in cause it's kind of awkward that they're sitting here unable yeah. to talk. So everybody out there in podcast land, wherever you are, if you're on the train in your car, that's a little dangerous, but it's okay. Please join us by applauding for Matt and Trisha Harlan. Yay. <laughs> Welcome to Thanks the for joining podcast. Us. Thank, Thank you. you. So Matt, what, what prompted you to uh, invite me to say a prayer? <laughs> I just think you need it. Comedic timing? Comedic I need it, huh? Isn't <laughs> that the truth? <laughs> oh, it's funny. I, I was talking with a coworker. This is what I was gonna say to you, Katie. I was talking with a coworker recently and I asked him, I said, Do you still say when your families get together and they are saying a prayer on the on the food and the, your mom's in the room and she asks you like, Hey, Matt, or, or not Matt in this case, hey Alan or Dave or whoever it is, would you uh would you say the prayer? And he's like, oh, I've been thinking about this. So we kind of went back and forth and I kind of thought this thing of, I'd like to get B to a place where I could, but without having to say something I'm not comfortable saying. Does that make sense? Hmm. Like if I'm not entirely sure that there is, I'm not entirely comfortable or sure that I'm praying to any one specifically, can I come up with some kind of prayer that acknowledges gratitude for the food that we have and the house that we're in without giving the thanks to anyone in in particular. Isn't that, Would that make people uncomfortable? Well, isn't that what they do in movies and like on TV? Huh? Like Lord, we're grateful. Well, see, you already oh, addressed yeah, somebody. Right. So okay. it's like, I thought like, um, we are so grateful for this food. We're so grateful for this, for this house that we're in and our loved ones. And again, we give the, Oh shoot. I addressed somebody. So it was like, man, then, I might have to practice that. And if I did that, would and it then make, just straight to amen, and then go straight to an amen, huh. right? Would know. that make people uncomfortable that were believers? I guess I don't know. What do you think? Am I just? I'm just trying to think out loud. I don't think so. I mean, to me, prayer is about gratitude, hmm. and if that is something that you feel grateful for, I think it sends the same spirit that it does if you're praying to somebody. It might offend people. What do you think, Trisha? It may offend people. Good. I'm Depends. Trish gets offended easily. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm, I'd like to try it sometime. Is that right? Yeah. All right. We'll report back. Well, okay. Tell me, I mean, but give me some warning and, and make sure I'll it's an event me, or it's and the kids us. First. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to pull that card out in the middle of a 30 person meal or something. Mm. <laughs> it's going to be a mother's day event or something. <laughs> no. Okay. So thank you for the awkward opening. I, that was on my mind and, and Matt, you prompted that, but Everybody listening, especially those who uh, are in the Mormon Mixed Faith Marriage podcast group, or excuse me, Facebook group, are very familiar with, with Matt and Trisha Harward. They, they are admins, moderators, which do you prefer? Gods, lowercase g, gods <laughs> of the bad Facebook group. No, it's, please, it's actually been much more stressful than I had remembered, just because I think there's such an important thing that is being done. And you probably feel that same kind of feeling, that uh, weight as you're sending messages right. that we will, will make a difference. So moderators, by the way, is the official type. Moderators. moderators. Awesome. Well, it's, it, that group has been very helpful for, uh, for me personally and mm-hmm. Katie's not on Facebook, not on but, Facebook but, but I've been in that group since yeah. before we started this podcast. And mm-hmm. so it's, thank you for all of your effort. And I know it can be difficult, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we would love to turn the time over to the, the Harwards and, and get into getting to know them 
Um, Katie and I, we were telling them, uh, Matt and Tricia, just before this, that uh, we don't do a ton of kind of research or prep work with with those that we interview because we love to get to know them on right here on the podcast. We feel like we're not as we're not strong enough interviewers yet to rely on interviewing skills. So we just like to have a natural conversation and ask questions to get to know people. So I think we're probably at that point where we should get started. So we'd love to know uh, both uh, to start right at the beginning, where were you born and whatnot and how did you grow up and all that fun stuff. Yeah. We always call it like your, your kind of two minute testimony opening, right? When you're speaking in church for the first time and you just moved in and, (laughs) and they're like, okay, give us your, your spill of where you grew up. And I mean, obviously don't take two minutes, take as long as you want, but um, let's go ahead and start with you, with you, Trisha. Why don't you tell us about you? Okay. So I grew up in a pretty atypical, but very Mormon home. So both my parents had been married before. Um, my dad, they'd like been married and then divorced and like married each other. Um, my dad had had 11 kids with his first wife. Wow. Yeah, And, the, and my mom had had four with her first husband and they both divorced and then met and married each other and had five more kids. Whoa. For those yeah. of us who don't do math well, 11 <laughs> and four plus five more. 20 kids. 20 children. Yeah. Yes. Was there a period where all of those kids were in the same? No. As you can imagine, there were a lot of painful feelings. Well, well, there was a lot of painful feelings after divorce and stuff. So some of my my dad's daughters would would live with us for short periods of time. And I have a lot of memories of them growing up. Um, I never saw my brothers. Um, My mom's two sons, she had two girls and two boys, and the two sons went with their dad. And the two girls were raised with me and um, my other sisters. So three sets of twins. And then there were three sets of twins that my dad, like my dad had two sets with his first wife and then then the set with his, my mom, which was me and my strong genes. So you are a twin, Trisha. Yeah. So um, they kind of took that whole multiply and replenish the earth thing. Very. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't say exponentially multiply, <laughs> but they, I know. They did it anyway. <laughs> so a lot of kids. So mostly it was just me and my four sisters or five of us girls. And then my mom's two girls were there for a while till they, you know, grew up and married and stuff. And then sometimes the other kids would visit. Um, so never more than like maybe seven or eight kids. Mm-hmm. So both my parents had a period of rebellion in, in their adulthood. Um, but then they were like, uh, later became really deeply convicted, you know, by their faith and became very, very orthodox. So by the time they married each other, they were very active in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so my childhood was kind of difficult at times for, for lots of reasons that I won't go into, but mostly my dad, he was a really complicated man, a very complex figure. I'll just say that he was just, he was very patriarchal. Right. Um, he and he viewed women as as less than men. Right. And he was always really um, quick to make sure that we knew our place. And of us, uh, he had 16 children and of those 16, 12 were girls. Wow. So, yeah. So a lot of um, there's some pain there. That was, that was a really difficult aspect of growing up with him. Um, and he was 50 when I was born. So wow. he had a whole family and then sort of a new family, you know, when he was a lot older. So anyway, we were raised to never question the brethren in any way. 
Um, their words were, you know, essentially God's commandments straight to us. And interestingly, like even local leaders were elevated to like near celebrity status in our home. Like we had more pictures on the wall of general authorities and, and leaders than like even Jesus, if you know, I remember, right. It was a really big deal. Yeah. Um, so from day one, I was really black and white thinker. Um, I had a very literal belief in, in everything. Mm. Uh, and I was a really good girl. It just it was really important to me to be really good at all times. Um, that was kind of my niche in my family. Um, like we had everyone and all the girls had kind of their own sort of niche. And we had like a rebellious one and a smart one and a funny one. I was just kind of the good one. And I didn't, you know, I really didn't make waves. It didn't cause my parents any trouble. Um, Look what happened. Um, when I was a little older, my dad told me that I was easy to ignore as a kid. I was just really like, it seemed mean at the, like at the time I actually was like, Oh, I felt kind of validated because I felt kind of that, you know, growing up, but, um, I was just really quiet, really introverted. And I was just not demanding like some of the other kids were. And, and I was like, Oh yeah, I, he kind of acknowledged that. And like, he was sorry, but it was just sort of just a really, really quiet kid. Um, and I was, I think I was just trying to get their approval or find a way to get their attention, you know, and that was just the way that I always was just a really good girl. You didn't, uh, you didn't choose to be good just for your parents. I mean, you were very convicted yeah. of, of your own yeah. desire to be good too. She didn't, yeah. this was right. not something she was looking at externally. She was chose to be that way and yeah. felt it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Yeah. So that was sort of your upbringing. Yeah. And I want to get to this sort of like part where you guys meet. So Matt, do you want to tell us a little bit about you and your family? Sure. So uh, I am the third of six kids. My parents, uh, again, very traditional Mormon family um, and loving. I had a beautiful upbringing. I have no complaints at all. I think that my parents did a wonderful job. I think they are people just like I'm a person. And now that I'm a parent, I can see it's a hard job to be a parent. And, and I think they did as good a job as, as anybody. Um, my dad served in a lot of callings. He actually worked for the church, uh, retired as a CES church education. So he uh, kind of followed us around and, uh, was seminary teachers in all the schools where we attended. Uh, and I loved that actually. I, did you? I thought, yeah, I, I, I respect my dad. I, I thought it was great. So I never saw that as extra pressure or something I didn't like. Mm. Uh, I grew up in a strange situation with my ward where I was the only kid my age. Uh, it was a boy, but the nice thing was there were a lot of girls my age. So I kind of, <laughs> early it was a little lame later. It got better if you know, right, so, right. Uh, but we, but we had a great time of that. I had good friends and good memories, good leaders, great bishops and, and opportunities there. And I grew up in Bountiful, Utah. So that was um, kind of the middle of, of the Mormon Mecca. Uh, went to Bountiful High School and loved all of it. I have dear friends, great experiences, just, just a, a very nice uh, childhood. So, yeah, it's pretty uneventful there, just pretty traditional for me. Eagle Scout, mission, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite merit badge? <laughs> My favorite merit badge. You say citizenship of the world. Ugh. Nerd. <laughs> All right, here's one for you. 
pulp and paper. Pulp and paper? That's a merit badge? It is. You had to make your own paper? you made your own paper. We went to, uh, here's why I thought it was awesome. We went to uh, the scout camp in Flagstaff. I can't remember what it's called. You learn how to make paper, but the great news of it all was after about an hour, you got the merit badge and you were done. Oh Oh my gosh. Fine return on investment right there. So that is the best merit badges are the one quickest earned for sure. (laughs) You have a great childhood. You're in Bountiful. And let's see, after you graduate high school, what happens? Uh, let's see. So my parents moved about the time uh, I, I got ready for my mission. I stayed home to save money for the mission and went to a year of college at University of Utah and then le- went on a mission to Guatemala in 1988 to 1990. Had a wonderful experience there. A lot of good people, wonderful experiences. I felt like I was doing good. I did do well. Uh, good things that I, I feel to this day, I think were were a blessing to me and, and I help other people. So uh, mission was great. Came home and went to BYU, studied business and Spanish. I was I had goals to go to international business and back to South America until I met my wife and realized in a very short amount of time that adventurous lifestyle was probably not <laughs> what you would be appreciative of. So uh, I, I kind of focused around a business and tech and uh, I've been at a couple of startups and have built and sold a couple and uh, mostly around uh, computer and today uh, a consulting firm that I run here in Austin, Texas. So Awesome. So we're, I mean, I'm trying I to figure out. Ahead. Sorry, I, that, that took you all the way to the end. We skipped over all the fun stuff in the middle. <laughs> well, I, we'll go to Trisha for that because I think, <laughs> Trisha, why don't you talk about like you, like you graduate and then what happens? So I... I went for, after I graduated, I went one semester to BYU-Idaho, which was at the time Rick's, and I lasted literally one semester. I was walking to finals with sleet coming into my face, and I was like, what am I doing here? I hate being here. <laughs> I have to get out of here. So I went further south and, and went to Weber State University and was attending a singles ward, and Matt's dad was my bishop. Oh, and so he was at the Y and he would come and, and visit a lot of weekends and I would see him and I thought he was so cute. And I was friends with his sister. And one day she came up to me and she's like, I need to set you up with my brother. Wait, did you see me before? I'd seen you. I'd sat behind you one time. Oh, I didn't know that. You? I didn't think you'd seen me so until cute. we were introduced. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Everyone knows Matt. They know he looks great from behind, right? <laughs> <laughs> Especially from behind. From behind. <laughs> and so his sister set us up and we dated for eight weeks and got engaged. As one tends to and, do. Yeah. <laughs> and then we were engaged for eight weeks more and were married. So it was like wow. three from the day we met to the day we got married was four months in a day. So wow. I, I say that uh, we I ate some serious crow on that because I always tease people for doing that thing. Right. I also to say that it was the most uh, spiritual experience that I ever have had uh, mm-hmm. when I got an answer to marrying my wife. So that was. Would you uh, mind elaborating on that? Sure, sure. So um, I dated a couple of other girls before I met Trish after my mission, and I was actually engaged to one of those girls. She was per- awesome. Uh, we just kind of kept going through, and I, I had a nagging sense that it wasn't the right thing for us. Uh, I feel like that's inspiration um but i kind of ignored it 
I loved her. I loved her family. I loved just, it was, all of it was good. And my dad is a pretty pragmatic guy. And he said, Hey, you know, you can make things work. If you're both sharing the same goals and you're, and you're committed to the same things, then every marriage can be good. And I believe that Mm -hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, it wasn't meant to be. And uh, when I finally got the guts up to, to do what I probably should have done a lot sooner, it was messy and hard and, I felt really bad about that. I didn't want to hurt, break her heart. And I did. And, and uh, the family separation and all that, we were so close to, to actually getting married. And anyway, that was kind of made me gun shy. I didn't want to mess it up again. So I thought, well, I've got to make sure that I do this right. And so when I met Trish, it was, I, I got to the point where I felt really encouraged about the relationship pretty quickly. In fact, faster than I had ever felt before. And so I thought, oh, this is really good. It's promising. But it really got farther than that, at least for me emotionally. And Trish can tell you this. When I, I have an acute sense of I just follow my, my heart a lot, and I, and, I, and I tune into that a lot. And I felt really comfortable. I always felt like that was a good thing to keep doing. And and then, you know, I added to that some of the prayers and other things that I felt were part of that whole process. And uh, one day, actually, I was out. I had a landscaping business that put me through college. And we were out. You know, this is not romantic at all, but it just goes to show mm-hmm. you that things happen wherever you are. But mm-hmm. I was out um, riding on one of the decks of those big, walk, uh, those big lawnmowers that you see people out in parks. I took care of the Riverwoods Research Park down in uh, Provo, if anybody is familiar with that area, when it was first uh, put in and I took care of the whole uh, complex there. And so I would go to school and then I would go and work full time at the same time. So I was working full time and going to school full time and both of those things. So I spent a lot of time thinking while I was out working. And this particular time was, I was just thinking about, Hey, what should we do here? And I wasn't necessarily saying, Hey, is Trish the one, but I was kind of going through and saying, what are my, what are my concerns? Right. And some things came up. And then if you all are familiar with the Benjamin Franklin model of pros and cons where he says, make a list and compare them. I I had done that, I think in my head a little bit and over the about two hours of time, I literally felt like I could see this photographic picture of my list of pros and cons. And it wasn't that Trish was horrible at all. I was, this is really more about me and my concerns and one at a time, I went down those things, and I felt like there were answers. That it was like I was having a conversation that literally was exactly what I needed to hear. And I went one by one by one by one, and it literally took like two hours of time, where I felt like I was in a meeting with the world's wisest person who could see exactly what I needed to hear, and mm-hmm. gave it. To me. And by the end of that, believe it or not, I was like, "You're right." And then I felt uh, like, well. If, if this is the right thing to do, then let's go. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was that day actually that Trish came down to visit and I told her what had happened and we unofficially got engaged and did it right another day, but that was <laughs> get married. So it went from exclusively dating to engaged in what was it? A week? It was really fast. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. He yeah. had not yet met my family. She would not let me meet her family. (laughs) Were you nervous about that, Tricia? Like I said, my dad is a really complicated man, and I wasn't ready for him to to 
for Matt to, to have to deal with that. Like it, it was, I just didn't, and, and I was right probably, I think. To mm-hmm. No, I would have been fine because <laughs> I, I thought he was a crazy fun guy and uh, it would have been fine. He, but, okay. Good. Yeah. Good. She still doesn't believe that. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So Trisha, you guys get married and take us through a little bit of the beginning up until where you, where so, you land. Yeah. What a really difficult first year. We didn't know each other very well. Mm-hmm. We were well matched, but really knew nothing about each other. And I was honestly really codependent and I worried a lot and I cried a lot and I struggled a great deal. And about six months in, I'm like, let's have a baby. And I got pregnant immediately and um, got really sick. And Matt spent the rest of that year going, what have I done? It's really hard. Do not put words in my mouth. (laughs) I was loving it the whole time. It was hard. It was hard. hard. Yeah. And so we had our daughter. She was born about a year and a half after we got married. Early on, we didn't really argue. We got along really well. We had a lot in common. And so we just made a lot of room for each other and just really patiently worked everything out. Um, But we had underlying issues that we didn't really know how to address and didn't really deal with. Um, And sometimes Matt would like struggle with things that I didn't understand. And it would make me feel unsafe and cause me to just kind of spiral into worry. Mm. And Um, I put a lot of pressure on him to have all the answers. And when I felt uncertain or insecure, I would push him away. And after a couple of years of that, we started arguing quite a bit. We went through some pretty dark times. Like it was hard. We had our son and then I, well, then I read like after that, we wanted to have more kids. And I went through a period of like three years of infertility and um, so that was that was a real struggle, really, really difficult. Some years were hard. Like we we loved each other, and I think anybody who would have observed us at that time would have thought, "Oh, you guys really love each other." And we really did, but we really weren't very connected. Um, I was really I tended to be very self righteous and perfectionistic, and I would judge Matt really harshly. Feel like I was better than him to an extent. I don't know if you guys know what I mean, but smiling yeah. because I kind of know what you mean. Right. Yeah, I, Alan's not yeah. going to be nice and not going to, he'll be nice enough not to say yes, Katie, but I get yeah. it. So that was, um, it was, it, we had some hard, hard times. I think we were, you know, the, the idea of what she was saying about the getting into some of the conflict, looking at it now, 25 years later, we just had our 25th anniversary and looking back at that experience, looking and seeing well, what was that right and and over time as you realize that as you're committed to each other and continue to make that choice to be committed to each other and to compromise again and to figure it out again mm-hmm. and to work through it again you have a legacy of love that is built with that and so getting into those conflicts was actually a good thing it's not that we were we were, it was negative. It was just really about, okay, let's get real, right? And figure this thing out. And so uh, to me, I see that as the honeymoon kind of dimming and real life beginning. And uh, just the part that we all need to, to get into when it comes to building a real relationship. So, And to an extent, neither one of us were equipped really for oh, it. I mean, we, we didn't have the tools. We, we had to gain the tools, yeah. right? So we spent time in therapy yeah. and 
read a lot of books and spent a lot well, of time. Well, who's, who's equipped for marriage when you've never done it before, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it can be heavy lifting. So Yeah, yeah. So after we had our two older kids, we, um, we'd we been married about eight years at that point, and Matt had kind of a mini faith crisis. And um, I was pregnant, I guess then I was pregnant with our third child. And after, like, we'd been through, like, the infertility, and we'd been through, like, financial distress and I, I was just kind of a wreck. Like I was just happy to be pregnant and like needed like really like a stable situation. I couldn't deal with this faith crisis that he'd had. Um, and it was very brief. And what was it? Yeah. Talk about that. I'd love to hear. So it's interesting. And then solution. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was really more about, uh, I don't think it was a crisis of faith in the church. It was a crisis of relationship. I had, I, a mistaken notion of God that I took on over years. I, I, there's no one to blame for this. It just kind of became this. And I'm sure people can relate to this. And that is um, when things go well, then you're blessed. When they don't go well, you start asking questions. Uh, at that faith crisis time was at a particularly difficult chapter for us. And for me personally, mm-hmm. business was not well. Our, our marriage was, you know, we were, we were working at it, but it was a hard pull. Uh, life was just grinding and, and I was uh, struggling in a number of ways just to feel like I was doing it right, that uh, there was purpose in life in general. So it was kind of a mini midlife crisis. I actually call it my pre-life crisis because it wasn't midlife yet. Um, right. But it, it included uh, God for me. And so I, I kind of went back and forth between what I kind of called the pendulum of despair, which is basically going back and forth between trying to find answers to why is this happening? It meaning hard times, depression, struggles, conflicts, when, when you're doing the best that you can, why is hard stuff happening anyway? So you question and you say, well, God blesses us when we do good. And I've been doing the best that I can. And so I look at that and say, well, then he must have forgotten or he must not love me the same. Or, or and why is that? And and then you can tend to build up some resentment in that toward someone who's abandoned you, right? And then you realize when that kind of surfaces, it kind of creates guilt of, wait a second, I feel bad about that. God would never do that, right? And so the pendulum swings the other way. And now all of a sudden, I'm guilty of being not just mad at God, but also, obviously, something is wrong with me because all these things are happening and then I have apparently then created. And so you go back and forth between when life isn't happening the way that it needs to, between guilt for not showing up and, and doing enough yourself and then resentment of God when he's the one who is at fault. Somebody's at fault, him or me. And if it's me, I'm guilty. And if it's him, I'm resentful and angry. Mm-hmm. So life comes back and forth between anger and resentment and, and guilt and despair. And that obviously is no way to live. And so uh, it took me some time actually to decouple, not from my belief that God, or that this wasn't more a, a church faith crisis. It was really me getting clear about my relationship to God himself. So we had some words and uh, we, we, we uh, spent some time. I did reflecting about what I thought and what I had, I believe today needed some rewiring and uh, I think I came out of that in a way that was much more conducive to what I feel God really is. And that is a loving person who wants the best for us, regardless of the mess. I'm not sure that he either creates or 
condemns any of those things, but rather is always there to help us make the most out of the situations that we're in. Some of those we create for ourselves, <laughs> we mess up or somebody else messes up, but that's not the point. The point is what happens with what's been given to us. And I believe that that, that is the grace that God wants for us all. And that he loved us. He does love us. He always did love us. And there's no connection between punishment in that regard uh, to whether I'm a valuable person or not. It, it was certainly something I hadn't thought about before, but it surfaced after I was having these painful experiences that, that kind of came out of it. What I remember about that time is that Matt had a friend who gave him the advice to put down all of his cards and pick up the ones that worked best for him. And that advice actually felt really threatening to me and really scary. Cause I'm like, what does that mean in terms of the church and, and our family and all of that. But now I can see that he did do that and he picked up things that worked for him. And I feel like him doing that at that time really sort of helped him through what I've been going through the last years. Like he, he was able to sort of, he had put down all of his, you know, extreme orthodoxy and like literal belief and all that kind of stuff and, and became a much more nuanced person and member of the church. And I feel like that has really helped him um, as we've sort of adjusted to where we are now. Well, I, I think I always have been a nuanced believer in the way that people use it now that, that, that word is overused, but it's actually a really good word. Um, I've tried a bunch to try to figure out a different word and it's, I haven't found one that's better. So, so use it, but uh, understanding the real point, which was really about us and our relationship with God was the point all along. And that everything, including the, the programs in the church, the, the priesthood, the, the, the inspiration, prayers, programs, the other things that, that are, can be there to bless us are all about bringing us to a better relationship. But it's always about a personal relationship with God. It was a really difficult time for both of us. And right around that time, Matt um, got a job that took us to Texas. And that was around 2006. And we just had our fourth child mm. and um, he had this new job. And like moving to Texas at that point was kind of like taking our first breath after being underwater for, for many years. It was just a brand new start for us. And, and it was really good. We'd just been through so much and it was just a really perfect, it was just a good move for us. Um, and we kind of settled into a happy life um, together. Um, we were kind of far away from Utah and our families and like all the struggles we'd been having for such a long time. And um, we reconnected as a couple, like recommitted ourselves to marriage, our marriage in a way that we hadn't before. Um, and then we started serving in the ward here and like our, our friends in the ward became our family. And we just, it was just kind of a really peaceful time when we, when we got here. But then in 2011, I had what I guess could be described as a feminist awakening. And I just started seeing things just a little differently. And I started kind of chafing a little at inequities that I saw at church. Mm. But I, I stayed really quiet. I didn't, I didn't say anything. I don't think I even said anything to Matt. And at that point, our marriage was still stable. It was a little stagnant. I found myself at that point kind of feeling some resentment toward Matt. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was. I began feeling this weight of like eternal marriage. Right. And I kind of wondered what I could have possibly known about eternity when I was 20 years old. 
And I kept those feelings to myself too. And, um, but I just felt myself kind of growing in like anger and frustration and resentment all the time. I would talk to my sister and I would sometimes describe this, this feeling, this eternal marriage idea as a prison sentence, which made me feel horrible, but it was how I was feeling. And then I remember telling Matt that I feel like, I feel like I'm walking around with a gun to my head all the time. And life just started feeling like this endless list of have tos. And like, yes, you have agency and you can choose for yourself, but if you make the wrong choice and don't do everything perfectly, then you're going to be punished, you know? And I was just miserable. I was just becoming more and more miserable. Um, And I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong. Um, I felt stuck in this like hamster wheel of parenting and serving in the church and running a household and trying to do everything I thought God was expecting expecting of me. I just felt very, I felt angry. And I, I mean, I could tie it to that feminist awakening. I, I feel like I, I began to just, I noticed so many inequities everywhere and I couldn't unsee it once I saw it. And I just started to, I started to just really chafe at that and, and, and struggled a lot. So, and then our youngest was about eight years old and, and Matt had been called to be in the high council. And so we rarely saw him on Sundays and it was really lonely. And it was also a time in my life where I started to look into the future a little bit about like what my life might look like when my kids were grown. And I'd been so head down in like having kids and raising kids. And until then, it never really occurred to me what my life as a woman, you know, might look like when I got older, specifically in the church. And I I remember asking some older women in my ward what their experience was like. And they kind of jokingly said that, you know, once your kids are out of the youth programs, they're going to put you out to pasture, you know, and I just was horrified by that. I just, I felt so, it just was so sad to hear that. I don't know that that's across the board people's experiences, but I just, I looked ahead and I just felt sad. I felt this deep sadness, Um, but I was still really diligent and faithful and committed I kept all my concerns to myself and, um, but my, you know, my shelf was getting kind of heavy at that point. And then Matt was called as bishop. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So wait, what was, what year was that? He was called as bishop in 2015. 2015. And, and when he received that call, how were you feeling? And at this point, had you said anything to him about how you were feeling? I, I probably brought it up just casually. You know, I would maybe call him out when, you know, he, he, I don't know, on, on little like gendered things, like things he would ask the boys to do, but not the girls or, you know, that kind of a thing. But I don't think I said much. You mean when I was the bishop, you did no, that? No, no, like before that. Before, like, yeah. I don't really remember actually much more. I was really that. quiet. I, I, I don't think she's brought much of this yeah, up at all. I, was, I kept, this yeah, point. I kept, because it seemed dangerous to me, right? Like yeah. you know, on the path out or something, I just, I just couldn't. I couldn't reconcile it, but I was getting really angry and, but that was wrong. So I just stayed quiet. (laughs) So, yeah. And so when he was called, it was, it was great. You know, I mean, he's such a good and kind man. I knew he would do such a great job, but I was just, you know, one of my first thoughts was, and now I'm married to the patriarchy. (laughs) I was like, what is this? I was very, it was upsetting. Like it was, it was hard. Like I didn't know, I didn't know how to deal with that. I just, it was, and there was no, 
there was no like support. There was no like guidance. There was no direction. There was no training. You know, they don't, they, they, they help bishops a little bit, but they don't, they don't tell the, the wife what to do. You know, you right. the mother of the ward, but it's like, I don't know how to do that. Like, I don't feel, you know, it's interesting that you bring this up because, um, I just had this conversation two days ago with my ne- with my niece and we talk about how, um, you know, we, we give the titles of Bishop to the men, but the wives are always known as, Oh, well that's the Bishop's wife. Like there's no, there's no it. title. And, and I mean, I can imagine that, now taking on that, that role as Bishop's wife and then feeling the way you do about some of the silently feeling silently. I mean, that must've been kind of eating at you, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really difficult. I think that that started her pain really in earnest actually. Yeah. And that happened. Because I wanted to support him. Of course. Um, Yeah. It just all got really complicated I'd spent my whole life, you know, believing that church leaders literally spoke for God. And I sort of outsourced all my authority to those leaders. And at that point, I really struggled to understand how my very good and very faithful, um, but very human husband could be called as bishop. And and that's no shade on Matt. Like he's, but it was just really hard for me to reconcile because I just had never been within the realm of possibility, right? It just only perfect men had been called into these positions. And I know that's not true. And I knew then that it wasn't, but it was sort of the, it was what I had been trained and, and understood to be true. So I, I, it was just a real adjustment for me. And he was really busy with a new business and his calling, you know, took up all of his energy. And I remember struggling a lot and wanting to share things with him, but he was so busy and super distracted and and sometimes he would kind of fall asleep. He was just so tired. He was just running ragged and he couldn't really respond very well. And so I went really deep inside myself and stopped communicating with him kind of altogether. Mm. And so that following year, 2016 was full of just a lot of pain for us and um, just a lot of suffering on both our parts. But we, we addressed all those things and, and kind of by 2017, we're in a better place, but my doubts were really growing by that time. And I think the, maybe can I jump in just about that? So 2016, um, I think a lot of it was learning how to balance this new now, right? Where part of what Trish didn't say was that I think uh, the, (laughs) One of the challenges of being a bishop's wife is that even though you don't have an official calling, you clearly are the matriarch of the ward. And we all know that there is an expectation of what a good person is in the role like that. And we can all look at that, right? You can look back at your your bishop experiences and think of the, the, the bishop's wives who really connected with you. And I think it's similar with the mission president and the mission president's wife, same kind of a thing where, where some people just kind of take on a role that is, is really uplifting and inspiring. The challenge though, is that that it's not assigned. (laughs) So they kind of have to find their way in that. And Trish was not somebody who liked the spotlight and is not. And so being put out in the front as a, you know, on stage, being this bastion of goodness when she's actually kind of suffering in silence was, was 
making it difficult for her, not because anybody was asking something of her, but she was feeling the pressure to be something that she didn't feel like she knew how to do it. And also didn't feel the heart. to do And I'm it. such a, like, I love rules and I love being told what to do. Yeah. <laughs> and there was nobody saying, this is what you should do. Yeah. I feel like there was like a vague sense of what I should do, but I just <laughs> naturally like fall into roles very well. And like, Oh, that's what that needs to, you know, that person needs that. Or I don't, I really, I'm not really intuitive that way. And yeah. I just always felt like such a failure. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. If, if you want to see Trisha's head explode, yeah. just have a game that says figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not, that's yeah, not my strength. So <laughs> it was fine. It was fine. I mean, we got through it. Like it was okay. The yeah. first year was super hard. And then the second year was a lot more manageable. Yeah. But I, th- I think by 17, we had kind of figured it out and she did get my attention and saying, Hey, I need this. And it helped me. And I think part of it was just that first year of being a bishop is hard. You're yeah. figuring out a lot of things there too. And so she was being feeling that. And then as it settled down a little bit, we, we, she got used to her role and I got used to mine mm-hmm. and it allowed us to kind of, um, kind of settle into a new place, a new normal. But I think it was better. Yeah. It was better. Yeah. So then Matt called me to be the, the gospel doctrine teacher, knowing by this time that I, I had a lot of doubts and I was like, are you sure you want me to do this? Cause I knew I could do it. And I knew I could sort of like find my way around most topics, but I was, I was concerned. He's like, no, no, no. I think you'll be great. I think it will go well. And it did. This is 2017, you said? Yeah. This is the Doctrine of Covenants and Church History year. Yeah. So in my perfectionistic zeal, I began digging really deeply into uncorrelated, but church approved sources to supplement my lessons. Yeah. And so I, at one point in the summer, I was studying a lesson about polygamy and that, that was sort of the beginning of the end for me. Um, I wound up like in the fetal position, like ugly crying after reading some quotes from, from Brigham Young. Yeah, that it was, it was hard. And I, I was able to keep that calling um, every week I would come home like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do this. I really don't think, no, you'll do great. You'll do great. And he had so much faith in me that I wanted to, to do the best that I could for him. Right. Cause he just was showing me so much support and he's like, I know you can make this work. Right. And I know that you can teach people in a way that challenges them. Right. right? And, and helps. And them, she right? did. She was a great teacher. She researched, but she was also thoughtful. She had wonderful questions. She brought up the right kind of I thought it just a really open kind of a tone that allowed for people to be safe to share to ask questions and to maybe dig a little bit into some questions that that they might have had that they might not have others otherwise felt safe to share I mean I wasn't I would I I couldn't just like read from the manual I really felt like I needed to like add more And, and I think some people appreciated it I think some people were nervous about it at one point last year 2018 kind of as things were nearing the end, I was, I had to give a talk on, or a lesson on profits. And when I would hit a really difficult, like, you know, the, a challenging um, topic, I would sometimes trade it off with my partner. And I looked ahead and I'm like, oh, maybe I can do the next week and he could do this one, you know, and the next week was temples, which was another real hot button issue for me. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to get through this one on profits. And, um, and I feel like I put together a lesson that was like, highly nuanced, but like faithful and 
you know, as far as I could tell, kind of down the middle. But um, at one point during the lesson, a man who was visiting raised his hand and I could see before I even called on him that he was just on fire. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, crap. Oh, and no. so he raised his hand and he said, he was a visitor. And I actually know who he was. And he said, who do you think you are? You know, who do you think you are? What, what is this agenda that you have? And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is over. Like the, the, the gig is up. I can't do this anymore. Like I must have said something that was just, I just, it was just too far. I'd gone too far. I, I just, I really was struggling clearly, but I was, I was trying, but it just, I clearly, it was bad. (laughs) So I just, at that moment, I just, I was like, okay. The following comments were actually quite, I thought useful in that it was, they were trying to help him. I'm, I'm, I'm just sharing that there's a couple of ways of looking at things and there was nothing actually uh, that was, (laughs) it was not unsafe in any way. I would have have been fine giving the lesson. I'm not sure, but it did kind of cause truth to have some trepidation about the fact that maybe, maybe I'm not, because I know you had said my, one of my concerns here, I'm not interested in casting doubt. Yeah, I don't other want, people. I don't, I don't, want to I don't need to, to be, but I can't get up here and lie. So I didn't want to betray my own, you know, beliefs and values, but I also, I couldn't go up and just like sort of spout the party line either. So it was a real, it was a really challenging. And I, and I can imagine like when someone says something like that to you, when you're already had, have had those feelings and you're like, Oh my gosh, everyone. Oh my gosh. They know, you know, like and it, and I did, I felt really exposed and I yeah, felt like that, that's so hard. The, the rest, I mean, all of my social capital, right? Like I couldn't, mm-hmm. I could no longer really be trusted. I felt, and that was really discouraging. So I'm like, just release me and I'll find something to do till you get released as Bishop. And then someone told on me, someone told the state president and anyway, told this, told wait, them what? told the state president what? Yeah. Um, I don't really know. You never told me. I didn't hear actually either. Yeah. We just kind of heard through the grapevine. That, that the I mean, I did, I, I did hear that there was, I don't know. Something there was some concern. There was some but concern. I, but, but there was nothing. And, but then, and the state president didn't even bring it up. So he, he didn't have any concern. He didn't, yeah. he didn't bring it up to me. I just heard about it. But they, I mean, yeah, in some circles it was, it was a problem, but I knew that I knew that I was sort of heading to the end. I, I could just feel it. And I was holding when, on. When you say like heading to the end, like I, what, what is I the destination that you're thinking? I had essentially lost my testimony by that mm-hmm. time. Okay. And I knew it and I wanted to hold on for Matt as long as possible. He was such a good bishop, so kind, so compassionate, made so much room for so many people and just the kind of person that should be in charge, you know? And I, and I, I wanted to support him and, but I just, I was just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. So he told the state president, like a little about kind of a little bit like what I was going through. And, and he ultimately released Matt because of that. So, so, okay. Yeah. Let's backtrack because Matt, she's going through this and you know that she's like, okay, I can't, I can't pretend anymore. I release me, go ahead and do that. Like what's going through your mind? Yeah. I felt like, honestly, at this point, the, the time I spent as bishop was a sacred time to me. As I was supporting my wife, I was able to do that. We had figured out how to do that in ways that uh, I think were beneficial to her. And while I was serving, it gave me a chance to focus in places where I knew I could make a difference. And so 
I was able to have an outlet to, to love, to serve, to bless, to, to do my as best I could, right. Um, to, to engage there. And so I never really saw that as untenable. I didn't see it as negative. I actually saw it as a great blessing for mm. my family and me. And, and it was a great tender way to always be kind of putting that, that perspective of love and acceptance and empathy on top of everything, both my relationship with my wife and my relationship with everybody else. And he um, knew that I was really struggling. We'd had yeah. a lot of conversations by that yeah. time. And he actually became so much more empathetic. It's like he just became this really pro-feminist, pro-LGBT, pro-minority groups. He just was just making room all over the place for people as best he could. And I really feel like it was a benefit to him for, to hear kind of what I was going through. Yeah, well, I, I don't think it, it, for me, it wasn't really a, I, and I still don't see that there's causes that necessarily that I personally, at least am trying to further. It's just, I just think he just became it's so fine much, to love. He became just wherever you come from, just, just that's fine. And, and I'll meet you there. And that, and I think, you know, there's ways to do that. And, and that I think are very healing, rich wherever you are. So, yeah. Matt, let me ask you this. How, I mean, you're already touching on some of it, but specifically when you were, when you were a bishop, how did that everyday experience with Trisha and her struggles, how did that help you? And did it help you respond to others who were having similar struggles or um, do the lessons you learned in, in your marriage with, with Trisha and her experiences, did that help you with others that would come to you with either similar doubts or in situations that you otherwise would not have had experience in. Right. And I'll be careful, obviously, to not of course. share. Yeah. But I can say that, yes, it, 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 I think that um, personally, I believe there aren't accidents. I think that um, the Lord, I am, I, it is clear here that I'm the, the, <laughs> the believing one in our relationship here. And I still share that, 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 this perspective of God's plan for us is alive and well. What I didn't realize is that sometimes that plan gets to the edge of the map, uh, <laughs> the one that we see and that we hear about. And sometimes it, it just goes a little bit different than what you might've thought. And that might include some time um, in different places, right? Not necessarily, I'm not talking about wandering off in, in clouds of despair or, or wickedness. I'm, I'm just saying that people's journeys might look a little different, right? And I hadn't really ever considered that my own family or or, or wife um, and therefore my marriage would kind of take one of these types of turns. But the beauty that I always saw in that, and I guess drawing that back to your original question, was I believe that the Lord is behind all of our journeys. And as I do the best that I can, and then I come from a place of integrity and I use uh, and choose to to follow with that integrity and grace that he will be there and he will bless that journey. And I may not understand <laughs> that pathway, the, the way that it would have been had it been prescribed and we stayed in the middle of that road, but I don't believe that that, that, that means that anybody's lost. Uh, it just means that we're traveling an unknown road and we'll get there. And uh, that made it easy for me to both, I think, 
serving as a bishop helped me in my marriage and serving in my marriage helped me as a bishop. Right. Right. Yeah, it's beautiful. So was there any aspect of when, when you were released, was that kind of a mutual, this is probably best, or did you recommend that to the stake president? How did that? I was just really prayerful and wanted to do what the Lord wanted me to do. And so I went to the stake president and just shared that this was what we were going through as a couple and he was kind and, and gracious. And, and so I didn't say uh, anything beyond that. Right. But I just said, here's something that we, that we should consider. And I feel like maybe the best thing to, uh, to support our family would be to focus on the family and, and, um, and be released. And so he's, he just thanked me and we thought about that and we're prayerful about that. And actually I was at peace either way. And I think Trish was too. Mm -hmm. Uh, We felt like uh, what was the right thing would happen. And, and then it just turned out that they decided to go ahead and do that in a, in a pretty short amount of time, actually after that, I think it was a couple months Mm -hmm. after I talked about it. And so after Matt is, is released, Trisha, did that feel like an opportunity for you to be truer to like what you felt you were going to do? Or did that help ease the tension or pressure off of you? Like, what? Or did you feel more pressure because you, know, you feel like you had pulled him out of this calling? I, I did feel bad. And as we were sitting there, I was looking around at people and I'm like, I'm sorry. I felt sorry. I felt sorry because he really was such a good bishop and and just so loving and so many people loved him. And I, I did feel bad and I, um, it was okay though. It really, I felt really, I felt so at peace. I felt so much clarity and, and the day, you know, kind of as the day came up, I was, I was feeling really anxious, but by the time I was sitting in church that day, I just was totally calm. Like this is exactly what we should be doing. Um, and like, we're ready to move forward and it was Thanksgiving weekend, I think, or right before that. And we went on a long vacation with our family. And I didn't go back to church. <laughs> I think maybe just a couple of times yeah, after I that. Think, I never went back, really. And that, that experience was also, it was, a, it was pretty, I felt a lot of peace about it. I, I believe it was the right thing for us to do. And I felt like... Um, yeah, we were both really at it peace. Was, it, was, really it wasn't just oh, good, that's done, or Mm -hmm. let's throw off this burden or something. I I was grateful to serve, and actually it was really difficult for me after I missed it. It it was something that I loved, um, and I felt, you know, that it was difficult, right, to not do that. So so I had given all there, and but I felt like it was, it was, it was full, and it was time. So, So I'm thinking, I'm thinking of your kids like during this time too. I mean, how old were they at the time? And like, did they ask like, dad, why were you released? And did they say, mom, why are you not going to church? I mean, how does that conversation happen with them? So we have two adult kids and they're both out of the church. Hmm. And the two younger kids are still attending. Before Matt was released, we sat down with them and kind of, had a little power there. The two younger ones are 15 and 12. Mm. And we talked about in terms they could understand and, and, and wrap their heads around just kind of where mom is and dad was really supportive and that kind of thing. And um, they never really asked me questions. They're like, in fact, I was putting my daughter to bed that night. And I'm like, don't you guys have any questions? And she's like, mom, why are you even telling us? We already know all this stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> we're pretty open with our kids about yeah, everything. Yeah. We have, 
good discussions. We have a lot of, you know, deep philosophical questions when they come up. We talk a lot with them. They talk a lot with us. And so in the natural course of things, they could bring up things and they could see that, you know, things were tough for Trish or for me. But they or, never said, Mom, why um, don't you go to church? Like it was never No, I think it, because we were talking a lot about, okay, here's what we're feeling right now. And we actually kind of presented the, the situation to them before they probably thought about it for us. Well, and I started attending the Methodist church, the local Methodist church, and they, we started a plan and we kept that we all kind of agreed on where we would go to the Methodist church one week and the Mormon church the other week. And so this probably takes you into your next set of questions. Okay. Now what, what, what are you doing to, uh, to kind of, you know, make this the new normal, right? Take us there. Yeah. <laughs> So we, we just, we had a lot of talks and a lot of like, how can we meet in the middle? How can we, how can we compromise? And Matt has been really, really accommodating. I, I, I didn't know how it was going to go, but he has been so kind and so generous and, and just, has just really heard me and really has seen how much pain I was in and how much happier I am. And just has really acknowledged that and validates that. Right. And, and I would say that Trish is uh, every bit, every bit as good a person, as giving a person, as true to her integrity today as she ever was. And because of that, I can love and support. I mean, I would have anyway, but it makes it easier for me. I feel like that God is in, in the journey with us. Uh, I wouldn't have said that before. I would have understood it. Mm-hmm. Some things just are different than what we think. But I can say that she is just as close as she ever was, and 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 our marriage is is blessed. And I mean, I, I referenced the anger and frustration and and resentment that I felt toward Matt. And as soon as he was released from the bishop job, and um, I stopped attending, that pain was released. It was gone. Mm. And I stopped feeling resentful. I stopped feeling angry. I stopped feeling all the pain that I was carrying around. And, and I feel like I saw Matt for the first time um, for who he really is. And I, I loved him on my terms. I felt like forever I was just like feeling like I had to be married to him. I had to love him. I had to make this work because we're married for eternity. And when I stepped back and, and it was, I had a marriage on my terms, I, it's like he came alive to me. Our, like I loved him in a way I never had loved him before. I saw him in ways I'd never seen him before. And, and we are just so much happier. Like mm-hmm. I, we were always like generally happy and we were making it work, you know, but it was hard and it doesn't feel hard anymore. Hmm. It doesn't feel hard anymore. I would say there are things that are hard. Sure. But in terms of our relationship, like we just, we're just so much more in sync and I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I didn't set out to leave the church so I could have a better marriage, but it turned out that way, strangely. Hmm. And I I would just say is that the part that I did not really understand that has proven to be such a blessing and unexpected blessing of grace, which to me feels just like what God would do for any of his children is that um, he honors um, those journeys. Right. And, and I still feel 
like our plan, our marriage is fully, fully blessed. And that the um, covenants that we've made, the promises that we've made to each other, I am committing to my wife in full ways, honest ways to support her. And she's doing that for me. And because of that, because there isn't selfishness or, or sin or any of these other things that, that, that might be seen as, you know, the poison to a marriage, because those are not there, there's nothing else to say, <laughs> but it, right. And that I think that the Lord blesses and loves us where we stand. And so because of it, I, I, I think we're blessed for it. And I don't see that, the, that God sees it any differently than that. Hmm. Pretty. <laughs> I'm, yeah, that's, I love, I love that. Matt, you still attend, right? I do. And do you still do the do weekend you, switching weeks yeah. between churches? Yeah. So the one thing that we, I mean, one of the things that we did, Sunday was a big one for me. I think, I'm sure any, any believing spouse knows how I'm feeling that, for every couple, it's different. Some certain things are harder than other things, right? For somebody, coffee might be a big deal. For somebody else, church or Sundays might be a big deal. And maybe there's other things and that kind of come up as we go. But it turned out for me, at least at this time, Sunday was kind of a big one. And so it was painful to kind of figure out, well, how do we make the Sabbath day, you know, a special day and and keep that part of our culture or our, our upbringing, our tradition, I should say alive for our kids and our family. And so we figured it out. And, and I think we have, right? So we attend every other week. Uh, we've, we attended a number of other churches. Uh, and then every other week, then we would LBS church. And I actually asked my kids, which of the two Sundays, the Sunday school Sunday, because it was about the time that the two-hour church block started. Um, and I just asked them, would you rather go to, which of the two weeks would you prefer? And they told us, and we just kind of set our schedule around that. And then the weeks that we weren't on those Sundays, we, we call, I call them Trish days. And she gets to choose if we go to a church or if we go on a hike or if we stay home or whatever we do. Originally, the plan was for me to go to Mormon church on that every other week. And, but in January, Matt looked at me, he's like, you need to take a sabbatical. Like, you need a break. Cause I was like so anxious and I get really shaky and freaking out, you know, and I'd, try to go and I'd sit in the, in the parking lot and just be freaking out. And he's like, you need, you need to take a break. And so in March I went back one time and I was like, I feel like that was a little too soon. <laughs> um, and then I went today. So I, I think I can go monthly. I think I can go monthly, but um, we, we did church hop for a while and just try to find a, a, a church that fit because I still believe in God and I still feel that draw to a spiritual life. Yeah. And we found, like I said, the Methodist church where there's a, the pastor is female and she's very affirming and kind and just, just a really warm, loving place. And it just feels like home to me. Um, and so we kind of settled there on our every other week and that's sort of how we're doing it. Sometimes we'll it's go. not easy. Sundays are still hard, hard for me. It's still a little hard. Uh, and Monday yeah. I always wake up. It's a little, it's, it can like be difficult. Hangover. And then yeah, it's called the Sunday hangover, I call it. Yeah. And that, is you know there's tender times with that because you you notice those things are missing right you you miss that right. yeah. yeah and and Matt I mean I think that a lot we get a lot of questions and um for 
those who maybe are still in who attend and especially in your position where you are a bishop and you have those connections and bonds with a lot of the people in the ward um, where they, they come up to you and say like, what's going on? Why, where's Alan? I mean, for me, it was, you know, I'm sitting in work council and they're wondering like, what's going on with Alan? Why isn't he here? And when people have the nerve, get at the nerve, I should say, to actually ask, you know, where your spouse is, because it's a hard thing to say. Um, what, what's your response to them? What are some things that you talk about with them? So I think... Did anyone ask you? I, I actually did. I, I was pretty good at, I think, kind of setting the, the table for what... And I wrote letters to all my friends. Yeah. Yeah. I was I Wow. Tons and yeah. tons. Of, I told so many people because I was like, I'm not going to pretend like yeah, mm-hmm. I think they, just disappear. Mm-hmm. Have, there's two levels of folks. There's three, right? There's family that's that, that has to be addressed in a certain way and you deal with that however that needs to look for you. There are the close people that you work with that are your you know closest friends within the church community. And then there's the associate, the next level out, right? Yeah. And for the associate group, we didn't really talk any real specifics there other than I would, um, I would just say, actually I wouldn't say anything. We never really talked about that because during that time, um, I don't think it was really an issue necessarily while I was still serving. Um, it, the, 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 every other week schedule didn't happen until after Shish was still going to church regularly. So it really didn't come up. You didn't go to the second hour or the third hour, but you That's saw him the second day. Um, and so the answer I would say is for the inner circle, you do what Trish was saying, where you go and you share that message on your terms. And I actually, so your answer was, I didn't share, Trish did. Yeah. Uh, and I let her kind of talk about what she felt she needed to. And then I thought, you know, for my sake, if somebody had a concern, I would just say, you know, Trish will talk to you if you'd like to know more. So I didn't have anything different about the way I saw things. And we had a lot of time to discuss, but I just didn't feel like it was the time to talk about it. And it would be too big and kind of. Right. How do you do it? And I, and I glance as you're walking by, Oh, hi, where's your wife? Okay. You know, it's, it's very difficult to do that. And in that setting and Trisha, so you, you tell you, you said you write letters, you wrote letters to your close friends. And is that how you told your family also? Yeah, generally, yeah, yeah. Just wrote a lot of letters, a lot of of emails. I think it's like individual. Like you end up, you get to say, you get to be thoughtful about exactly what you want. Right. Yes. And then, and then the invitation to come and talk about it after. Yeah. But if you go in and say, okay, you know, we talk about everything, right? So let's get into it. That can be difficult, and it can really be painful for them too, right? Yeah. Causes pain, and then you get into this. It, it doesn't necessarily go well. And, and so you, the writing, I think, is a very kind way to, to introduce a topic in a sensitive way. And Trisha, what was the response you got? So much support. So much love. Honestly, so everyone was so kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, re- I mean, it was hard for my mom. It was hard for a couple of my siblings, um, as, it, as you'd expect. And um, I think there's things I would do differently. I think that I would have presented it a little bit differently. I learned a lot over the, you know, the months that it took me to get, you know, to tell everyone. Um, But everyone was really kind. And I I mean, as I was sitting there today, I I went today because Matt spoke in church and um, 
I sat there and I looked at those people and I'm like, I love these people. I love these people so much. Mm. Um, but I don't feel welcome in church. I feel welcome in with them and I feel, um, you know, I feel safe and I feel, you know, I feel loved, but I don't, I feel like I, if I, I think if I, I would go to church, if I feel like I could, um, express that disbelief or feel like I was safe to, to be, um, open about where I am, you know, cause I really do love these people, but I just think it scares them and I don't want to be scary and I don't want to, I want to hurt anybody. And I don't, you know, it's just not a place that I can really feel like I can be myself. So I still connect with them. I still go to lunch with them. I still, and I just love them, but it doesn't work. I, I wish it, I wish it could work. I wish you could kind of not believe and, and still be in the community, mm-hmm. but you draw a line in the sand when you're just like, I just don't believe it. It just makes it, it makes it really hard. So it's that's, that's a disappointing part, but I knew that would be what would happen. So, well, I think what you mean by in the community is not necessarily because you did say, I still have these relationships. I'm right. still, our kids still right. attend. We but still I mean, are part yeah. of, of the, like the church of the community, but, community, but yeah. the, the worshiping, Sunday after Sunday, yeah, yeah, yeah. fully active engagement yeah. you're talking about is yeah. what you mean by yeah. Yeah. not being there. Yeah. There's so much power in hearing other people's stories and journeys. And Trisha, a lot of what you shared has really been on Katie's mind recently. Today specifically, she spoke up and what did you say in board council today? Just, it's hard. Um, I, I feel like it's hard to have a voice when um, the person who's above you is a man. I mean, they're all men, but, um, and then not, we, we have really good men in our, in our neighborhood and our ward in our area. So like, I'm very lucky that way, but I just feel like, um, we've had a few Sundays where there's been more quantity versus quality of both speakers. And anyway, so I just, like, I asked the executive secretary to put it on the agenda. And so we talked about it today in Ward Council and it was so positive. You know, I felt like we were able to talk and positively make changes. But, you know, after that, we, um, I got my kids in the car and we were on our way to church. And, and I told my oldest, I was like, you gotta hurry because you gotta get in there to pass the sacrament. And um, my daughter who's seven said, mom, what do the young women do? And I, and I, I, at first I didn't get it. And I said, well, like they meet together, you know, they have activities and, and Jackson's like, well, but they don't have jobs. That's what he said. My 12 year old said, they don't have jobs. And she said, well, what do they do mom? And it, it, like, it made me think for a minute and I got kind of sad about it because, you know, I, I said, just recently they started having the young women go with the young men to like give a message to the shut-ins, you know, and those who take the sacrament at home, like they've paired the young women with the young man to do that, which has given them a job, which is awesome. So good. But just a lot of the things that you're, that you've said is have like resonated with me about how I feel about all of that. (laughs) Yeah. So, and that's really fresh. We just like went through that today and, and talked about it. So anyway, I really appreciate you saying what you did because I don't think that you and I are the only ones that feel that way. Yeah. 
Thank you, Matt and Tricia Harward, for being here on our program tonight. And sorry for keeping you up so late, but we're so grateful that you have allowed us to um, join us uh, or allowed us to just take a peek into your world and your life. And we're just so appreciative of it. Yeah, you're so welcome. We're so happy to be here. And thank you for what you do. I think it's uh, sacred and just a blessing to a lot of people. So carry on. We love you. Thanks. Thank you very much. You can join us on Instagram at Marriage on a Tightrope. We have our Facebook group, Marriage on a Tightrope podcast group. Also, of course, join the Mormon Mixed Faith Marriage uh, Facebook group as well. A lot of good voices there too. Uh, email us if you'd like to reach out at uh, marriageonatightrope at gmail.com. And to support the podcast, you can go to uh, marriageonatightrope at, wait, marriageonatightrope.org. <laughs> And there's a donate button if you'd like to support uh, us for the time and effort that we put into there. So thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time. Matt and Trisha, you've been awesome. Thank you. Bye. Walking a tight road